overrun by tourists. Tourists, 89 flowers on their back. Inventors of the AccuJack. They look at life through a pocket camera. What? No flash again? They're all a bunch of double drags to teach the kids that love is bad. Half of the staff of their brain is on vacation. Mama, are you listening? We need a new bridge. Leaders, stand up. Don't let your children watch television until they know how to read. Or else all they'll know how to do is cuss, fight, and bleed. No child is bad from the beginning. They only imitate their atmosphere. Welcome to Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, April 5th, 2019. How did we make it this far? Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio here in the Mission District in San Francisco. So thank you so much for listening in. And we are on Ohlone Land. And if folks would like, and I suggest that you... Uh, would like to give back to the land that we're on, there are several ways you can do that. So one way is if you happen to live in the, the East Bay, you can pay a tax back to the land that we're on. And if you go to Sogorea Te Land Trust, and that's S-O-G-O-R-E-A-T-E-Landtrust.com, there's lots of information there about how you can give money back to the land that we're on. And the Sagreate Land Trust is an urban indigenous women-led land trust in, in California's East Bay. So that's one way that folks can participate in giving back to the land. And there's a lot of great information on that site. So I do hope that you will check that out. Uh, we have a, a show coming up. I can't predict the future. I, I feel like I have some sense, I've got some intuitive senses and I also don't know. I would like to say we have a great show coming up, and I believe we do, so maybe I will say that. I was a little bit jet-lagged last week. I don't know if folks could tell. I was late getting to this. I mean, I got here on time, and I didn't prepare as much as I would have liked, and I definitely had some jet lag, so I was a little bit slow going. And then the week before, I wasn't here, so hopefully this week I'm a little bit more present and can take folks through some news and current events, which are certainly disturbing, and also it's important that we acknowledge what's happening. We also will have a uh, call coming in around 12.30 from Dazier Rustin Grego. Dazier is a really talented performer, and we're really looking forward to talking with him about some work he has coming up. Great. 
Oh, goodness. Also, today, what has already happened on the East Coast is that there was there was a protest outside of the Birthright headquarters in New York, and it was put on by If Not Now and I believe some other organizations as well, and folks were arrested. And they have, if you go to, and okay, and Facebook, I guess I have to start off by saying Facebook's fucking evil. I'm still on there. They recently passed uh, a they said a note that they're going to take down white supremacist and white nationalist videos and people, and they haven't. There have been a number of reportings of other videos that have been up that strictly go against that, that Facebook is still leaving up. We know that they coordinate with the state and with police, and they kick people off for things that they shouldn't be kicked off for while leaving other people on who have a lot of really hurtful propaganda on. So... That's my comment about Facebook. And also, until another... And perhaps there are really other great resources that are out there that I'm a little bit slow to get to. So hopefully there will be other forms of social media and other forms of sharing information that are out there. In the meantime, if you go to If Not Now, which is at If Not Now Org, they have posted the video from the event that happened uh, this afternoon in New York... And they posted it about six hours ago. And it says, Birthright just arrested 15 college students instead of coming downstairs to talk to the 200 of us that converged on Birthright headquarters in New York City to give them one final chance to choose. Hashtag us or the donors. Uh, Comment below with the word generation to get connected to the movement demanding Birthright confront the crisis of the occupation. Birthright made their choice. Now we get to make ours. We'll be having a call on Wednesday, April 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to share our plan. And you can register. They have a link there as well, as well as the video. It's about an hour and a half. I, I could play the entire hour and a half video. I haven't watched it all as it just happened or it was posted pretty recently and I haven't had the time this morning this afternoon as, as i was preparing to watch it all we might play almost likely play part of this so we can hear what what has happened and also just to encourage other progressive jews or however you i, I shouldn't say that i should say i will say i want to be conscious i want to be conscientious of the language i use other jewish american folks who do want to stand up or show up against the occupation and really question birthright as well as other organizations that refuse to listen to any criticism of the policies of israel that are harming and have been killing people for years and that's a whole other conversation to have is how also i'll say it before i say it again uh anti-zionism is not the same as anti-semitism and if folks were really concerned if some of these folks were really concerned about anti-semitism they'd go after the far right uh, members of congress that we have they'd go after the hate groups instead of going after people who (sighs) criticize the actions of a government that kills people. Okay, that's been said. All right, so we got this video. (sighs) What time is it now? It's 12.14, and I am, I'm not quite spent. It's a lot of energy putting that out there, speaking the truth, especially when there are folks out there who either don't want to hear it or disagree and are unable to, I guess, acknowledge what's happening. We have to keep on talking about it, though, and it's a responsibility that we have. I can talk about some upcoming events that folks can participate in, although I'm already feeling a little bit... So perhaps I'll play, I'll play some of this video from If Not Now 
and I'll, I don't know if I can shake off my feelings, because I have really strong feelings. <sighs> oh, yes, I often start the show with a, a rant of sorts, and I gotta say, yesterday I was biking down Market Street in San Francisco, and I was at a stoplight, or about to get to a stoplight, and what do I see? But I saw a swastika that was on a muni stop, and it was on a muni stop between 5th and 6th, uh, across from the Payless. And I did not happen to have markers on me or stickers on me, which I would like to start carrying on me in case I see some of these disgusting symbols again. Um, and I think it just goes to show how San Francisco has this reputation for being this really progressive city, and that's just continued to, to change over time. And the fact that that could even just be up, continue to be up for so long is disgusting. And also, of course, when I was downtown, I saw lots of cops, and clearly that's not their intention to remove any swastikas. <sighs> yeah. So, just putting it out there, if you see that kind of hateful graffiti, cover it up. And I guess carry Sharpies with you, carry paint with you, carry stickers with you, whatever you can. And that's a message for myself as well. I used to, I go through phases, and it's a good reminder for myself as well to have something on hand so you can cover that nonsense up as quickly as possible so other folks don't have to, to see it. Great. <sighs> Deep breath. Start off the show with some music as we usually do. Hole of the Moon by The Water Boys and Sexuality by Prince. Some really great messages in there. Ugh, everyone's got to organize. Very, very true. There are events coming up that I can talk about, and maybe I'll leave it towards uh, later on in the show. I'm going to play a bit of the video I mentioned from If Not Now, and again, you can see this if you go to facebook.com forward slash if not now org. And Again, I haven't heard this in full. It's an hour and a half. I'll play a little bit of it, and perhaps we'll get back to some of it a little bit later. Good morning. We are If Not Now. We are here marching to Birthright headquarters to demand that they choose the donors or us. Or This is their last chance, and we've been asking them to confront the crisis of occupation, and we are finally here. We are at Birthright headquarters. We are If Not Now, a movement of young Jews working to American Jewish support for the occupation. And we have birthright alumni, people who are eligible for birthright here, to demand that birthright confront the crisis of occupation. Good morning. We are in that now. We are here. Hundreds of American Jews are gathered at birthright headquarters in New York City to demand that Birthright finally confront the crisis of the occupation. All right. And uh, the word generation in this live stream comment. I'm going to fast forward a bit. As I mentioned, this video is about an hour and a half long. So we see, I'll narrate a little bit. So lots of folks standing out front carrying banners. People are chanting. One sign says, stop lying to young Jews. One sign says, we demand the truth. Another sign says, stop lying to us. Another sign says, show us the occupation. Lots of folks. I'm going to fast forward a little bit more. People are still singing, carrying signs. As I'll finally have to listen to. All right, let me 
rewind a little bit because I, if I, someone's with a bullhorn, they are saying something. I'm going to pause because that rhetoric sounds really familiar. And I felt angry and disconnected because I knew that this was an easy story for him to tell. They're wrong, we're right, they're bad, we're good. But it wasn't the whole story. A few days earlier we had been in the Golan Heights and on a hill where part of the 1967 war had taken place and he told us stories of the brave Israelis and the violent Arabs. And he did not talk about any stories that showed any humanity of Palestinians or of anyone who wasn't Israeli. And although this story was simple and easy and easy to swallow, I knew that it wasn't the whole truth. Um, so back on the bus, Emily said, you know, we've only heard one perspective. The whole time that we've been on this trip, the five days, we've only heard one perspective, the side that Arabs and Palestinians are violent. And um, um, another person on the bus, Benji, said, you know, we haven't heard the word occupation. The whole five days, no one has said occupation. And our tour guide responded to them. He said, you know, I don't know of any other organization. I don't know of anyone who can give you another perspective. This is the perspective that you're going to get. And if you don't like this perspective, then there's no other option for you on this trip. And he said that legally, Israel has never occupied any Palestinians. And yes, he said that Israel has never occupied any Palestinians and that there was no other perspective he could give us on our trip. So I felt angry and frustrated that we weren't able to hear and that he was blocking the humanity of Palestinians from our trip and that erasing their narratives. So we... Um, if you want to learn more about who we are, comment generation. So, um, we. Sorry. Okay. 
Hundreds of us are here in front of Birthright headquarters right now to demand that Birthright confront the crisis of occupation. Right now, Shira we were is telling the story. Of and a few hours later, we were standing on a street corner in Tel Aviv with our bags, and we had been kicked off of our trip for asking questions about the separation wall. So we wanted to hear other perspectives. So we got in touch with anti-occupation Israelis who work with Palestinian communities, and we went to the Palestinian Bedouin village of Umal Hair in the South Hebron Hills in the West Bank. And we met with Auda, who's about my age and has grown up in Umal Hair and spent his whole life in the village of Umal Hair. And he told us about how they are not able to get building permits because of living under military occupation. If they build a home or a community center, it's demolished. And we were sitting there with him outside of the third community center. And he told us about how when the second community center was up, he slept in it at night to prevent the Israeli army from being able to demolish it. And one night, his friend rushed in and shook him awake and said, Auda, they're here. They're here with the bulldozers. You need to leave. And I felt connected to how this simple act of sleeping in a building to prevent its demolition was a way of just trying to exist and trying to remain in Umal Hair and keep his way of life. And he told us a story about how he brought a mirror to the site of where a building was being demolished. He brought this mirror to reflect back the image to the Israeli soldier of what he was doing to try to appeal to his humanity and to show out his humanity and to connect as humans. And hearing these stories and sitting around eating dinner with the residents of Umal Hair, sitting around the fire and hearing what it's like to live there under the constant threat of demolition, under not being able to live off of their land and not knowing if they'll be able to remain in Umal Hair, I felt connected to them and that I was finally able to hear their stories and to understand the whole story of what's happening in Israel and Palestine. And so we're here birthright because we're demanding that you stop the humanity of Palestinians. Show us the truth. We want to know the pain and suffering of all people, of Israelis and Palestinians. And those are our Jewish values, is to ask questions and seek the truth and to care for all humans and the dignity of all people. And we are asking you to stand with us in those values today. Thank you. We are here where it's not now. If you want to learn more about who we are and why we're here, comment Generation. Thank you for all of your comments and support. Like and share this live stream. Hundreds of us are here from campuses and cities from all over the country to demand one last time the birthright confront the crisis of occupation. All right, I'm going to pause there. There's quite a bit more to the video. I'm going to take a little bit of a music break. And when we come back to the show, we'll be talking with Dazier Grego. So please do stay tuned. You're listening to Mutiny Radio.
All right, and welcome back to the Weekly Review. I am joined now by Dazier Grego Sykes. Dazier, thanks for calling in. You're welcome. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's a Friday, so I don't know exactly what that means, but uh, I'm here. Glad to be here and glad to be talking with you. Thanks. Yeah. So you have a show that's uh, opening up at the exit stage. I do. It's opening up tonight. Uh, It's going to be running from the 5th into the 27th, every Friday and Saturday in April. Great. It's uh, called Nigaroo. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we're we're really excited about opening up tonight. Excellent. And you've done this performance before, yes? Yeah, it was originally uh, commissioned by the Queer Cultural Center for the National Queer Arts Festival. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've done it, I did it in 2017 at the flight deck in Oakland for the National Queer Arts Festival. And then I did it in the San Francisco Fringe Festival mm-hmm. uh, in September of 2017. I got the Best of Fringe Award wow. um, for that for that run. So that was really exciting. Excellent. And they, uh, the Exit Theater uh, wanted to support me more and wanted to bring back this show for a full run. So that's where we're at now. Great. How has the, the show changed over time? Um, well, the, the show isn't just... Uh, theatrical performance. It's also a visual performance. I have a visual collaborator, uh, Ms. Sequoia, mm-hmm. um, a.k.a. Derek Miller-Hanley, who has created a whole body of graphic art, of animation, of video, um, and, and photography projects to support the, the performance work. So we have done a lot more work on the visual aspect um, and looking at the, the visual aesthetic of the piece. So it's changed a great deal that way. Um, it's, it's actually pretty stunning at this point. I'm, I'm extremely happy with what uh, Miss Sequoia was able to achieve and the contribution that she's made to my work, mm-hmm. to our work, really. Excellent. And what inspired the piece in the first place? Um, racism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just racism. Yeah. Uh, experiencing growing up, you know, living in the South, living in the West Coast, um, it, it always feels a little different, but growing up in a culture where race is such an issue um, and, and me always looking internally and in, in, in writing and trying to make sense of, of, of hatred towards people because of their race, um, the colorism, the, the issues that, that go on in most communities of colors, but particularly the black community, on how dark you are, how light you are, um, feeling like the word nigga has become such an acceptable part of speech um, in the communities that I'm a part of. I hear people that are black and not black uh, using the term as if it means man or dude or such and such. It's, it's saturated in our music and <clears throat> I was raised never to use that word actually. Mm-hmm. I've actually been assaulted on two different occasions for asking somebody not to, I've been jumped <laughs> by people for asking them not to use the word in my presence. People feel such uh, uh, such a right to use it and, and people who don't even necessarily have a relationship to it and I started wondering how did it become so pedestrian? Yeah. Um, looking at the minstrel shows and how they impacted people's perception of blackness uh, in this country for a century, um, all the way up to the 60s. It was an acceptable form of entertainment for people, for white people to paint themselves black and delve into these really dehumanizing, stereotypical um, characters that were supposed to be imitating black people Mm. um and how that's impacted i think the black psyche around color around identity and i I just felt like all these things sort of deformed blackness 
um, because it hasn't been able to just exist on its own and not be seen through all these multiple lenses of race, of racism, of colorism, of minstrelsy, of stereotypes. Um, and even when it's in its resting phase, it's like, it, for me, like the neutral position of blackness seems to be resistance mm-hmm. at the very least. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to explore all of those, all of those different things and, and facets of uh, my thought processes. Yeah, and I wanted to return to the scene of the crime, mm-hmm. which is the theater yes. when it comes to minstrelsy and blackface. Yes, yes. Wow, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Yeah, a lot there. It's a sense. I mean, some people feel like I'm poking the bear. I feel like I'm beating the bear with a stick. But <laughs> you know, it's sort of <laughs> that's, like that's necessary. It was the kind of thing where some, and, and I understand it. Like, where some people would, would subscribe to the idea that we don't say the word nigger. You know, we just don't say it. We call it the N-word. We need to completely eradicate it from our speech. But on the other side of that, we're hearing it everywhere all the time mm-hmm. um, and being used as if it's benign. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And one school of thought would be like, nobody should ever do blackface. Nobody should ever explore these characters um, and try to have them be about defying white supremacy, which is the opposite of what they were created to do, mm-hmm. which is what I'm exploring is like, can a mental show character I don't really like to refer to it as a minstrel character. Can a blackface character be about resistance? Can mm. can that be about resisting racism? Um, which I think is an interesting question, and I think I successfully explored in this piece. Yeah. Wow. So how have... I saw that there's a, a write-up in the SF Chronicle today, and I was just curious about how audiences have uh, perceived the show. Um, there's two school of thoughts. Like, some people find it extremely provocative and divisive, mm-hmm. the title and the idea of using blackface. Yes. Like, that's just their immediate response to it. They haven't seen the work. Mm. They don't really know much about what is going on in the piece. Mm-hmm. But those two things are enough to completely have them be like, no, you can't do this. This isn't okay. Mm. Um, and other people are made really uncomfortable by it in a way that they're attracted to the discomfort mm. and they want to find out what it's about. Yes. Um, they're, they're attracted to the idea of somebody being so cavalier as to talk about racism without really... I'm not primarily concerned with the white gaze um, and what white people would do with this work. It's really about the conversations I have in my community with other people of color about race and about racism Mm -hmm. without looking over my shoulder to see who's looking or hearing or listening, but just being completely honest and authentic as I possibly can. Yes, yes. But the responses are are extreme. I mean, I'm prepared for, for people to have some resistance around it. Um, it makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I created the work. Yeah. So I understand that for somebody who's completely unprepared to just be walking around the world and suddenly they see uh, a postcard with a person that has their their skin pigment black and the title nigga rules. And they'd be like, whoa, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. What was I going to say? Um, let's see. Oh, I had a thought for a moment. Um, I'll take your time. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, it was about art and how art often the, the point of... I mean, there's many different reasons to create art, and a lot of it is to create discomfort, and that, in a way, that's a necessary part of it a lot of the time, is to challenge the viewer to question themselves and how they view the world and to present... Uh, other ideas to I, to think about that they might not normally. 
Ideally, yeah. Like, ideally, like, there's only two ways that something like this is going to be experienced. Like, one, it's going to be experienced as preaching to the choir, or B, it's going to make people uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and make them have to get outside of their comfort zone in yes. order to examine examine something that I feel like the jury has been out on. It's just been like, this isn't okay. Yes, um, yes. And I think that there's fear involved. Like, there's fear involved. Definitely. And why am I doing this? How am I doing it? Am I reinvoking? Am I doing some modern minstrelsy? Um, is this going to be dehumanizing? Is this going to be cooning? Is this going to be harmful? Is this uh, title? Does this title give people permission to say the word nigga who shouldn't be saying the word nigga? Um, in the Chronicle Review, they they just straight up broke that the title of the show wasn't printable. Yes, you know, yeah, and I, I saw that's that. completely. I think that's completely appropriate. I don't think that. I think that the title should force you to figure out where you are in proximity to that word. I don't right. feel like you need to run around talking about Nigaru. I think you can call it, they, they refer to it as Enru. Yes. You can say it's Dazier Gregor's performance. Yes. Um, there's a lot of ways to engage with it. You don't have to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting what happens for people's minds though when they see it in print. Yes. Versus when they just hear it being sung in a rap song or they just hear it being said on the street passing mm. by mm-hmm. or somebody just uses it to identify me as a human being mm-hmm. whether, without checking in about whether or not I have a problem with that. Yeah. You know, I've been called a nigga more than I've been called man or sir. <sighs> Do you know what I'm saying? <sighs> like, and people don't hesitate to think that it's okay. <sighs> so it's interesting for me because I, I, I hear the resistance and I, and I understand people's issue with it yes. but then i think why is it okay for me to be called a nigga all day every day mm-hmm. and i'm a person but it's not okay for me to explore what that means for me yes uh through a performative work and give it the title um that really provokes uh my mind and my response and my story to explore that yeah yes yes so it's difficult yeah um but it's not about it's not about you know provoking people for the sake of provoking people. It's not about spectacle. I don't really believe in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like creating some kind of oddity or something that's going to mess with people, <laughs> like just to attract them to be like, oh, you're being controversial. Because I don't think that the work um, it's not designed to be controversial. I think it's what's controversial about it is that the conversations that it's having are being had in 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 a way that isn't hyper-concerned with how it's perceived. It knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it explores race and, and racism and, and internalized racism. Yes. Um, yes. And it's critical of the black community. It's critical of the white gays. Mm. It, it's critical of a lot of things mm-hmm. um, that I think we've been taught not to question. Yes. Like, maybe we're not supposed to question people calling each other nigga. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we're just supposed to let it ride. Mm. Oof, lots of lots of questions. Well, that's certainly. But for me, like yeah. when I create, that's where I create from. Yes. Questions. Yeah. Like I, if I had the answer, I wouldn't necessarily be interested in creating the work. It's like, what's the point? Right. Of right. Spending months and months and months of time writing a piece, and then months and months and months performing the work, preparing for the work. Like, what would be the point of me having to paint my face black and see myself that way? Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lot of fear that if I did that, that it, there would be a way in which I'd never be able to take the blackface off. Mm. And I, I think that people uh, that have a problem with blackface in general, um, I imagine that that so impact like it impacts other black people for any black person to perform in this manner, mm-hmm. or for anybody to blacken their skin. But also, first and foremost, it's like I have to experience myself as a performer that way mm. um 
I have to experience being saturated in a culture I've created, which is this performance work, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'm thinking about race and racism and internalized racism and colorism and oppression and, and revolution. And I'm thinking about resistance and I'm thinking about white supremacy all day, every day Mm -hmm. while I'm preparing. Yes. Um, And that's a lot to take on. Yes. Yes. It's a lot to be, to be existing in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. I'm, I wouldn't be doing it if I knew what the answer was. Right. right. I have questions about it. Yes. Yes. I have questions about whether or not uh, people can, have, can can see this this character mm-hmm. as being somebody who humanized the experience, as somebody who mm. was about resistance, somebody who was about defiance, somebody who was about like opposing white supremacy, I have a question like, can that be done? Mm-hmm. Or can this only because of the history with blackface, can it only ever be a negative? Mm. I don't know that it can be a positive um, 100% clear out because it has so much baggage. Yes. Um, but it's a potent, potent, potent form of uh, performative theater. Yeah. It's very potent. Yes. Yes, indeed. And it it kind of amplifies and magnifies the fact that the black body is never neutral. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a white woman can put on an oatmeal bra and panties and do a movement piece. <laughs> it's some, <laughs> you know, it's, it's some dance thing mm-hmm. and appear to be neutral, mm-hmm. but a black body is never neutral. Mm. It's always engaged. Mm-hmm. It's always doing something. It's always being perceived and, and seen as being a black body. Mm-hmm. And whatever the viewer, whatever meaning the viewer makes of blackness is what's attached to that body at all times, regardless of that person's intention. And so part of the the point of working with blackface was to completely take people to a hard right where they couldn't get around the blackness. Yes. Wow. Wow. Whew. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, I'm letting I'm letting that sit right now. Oh goodness! Wow. Only and you know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is to the question. Oh sure, sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. There maybe isn't a right answer, um, or it might not even be that, an answer. Right. I mean, I don't know that I'm free and clear mm-hmm. of uh, having any concern of what I provoke. I definitely don't want to trigger people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trigger warning. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not looking to assault people sure, sure. Um, and bring something up and then that they don't want to have brought up in them. I, I, I'm just trying to make a, a suggestion yeah. of another possibility. Yeah. Um, another uh, piece of yours that I saw was I Am a Man, and you recently performed that in New York City. And I was hoping you could also yeah. uh, share a little bit about what that experience was like for you. Well, one, I changed the title from I Am a Man okay. to Am I a man? Oh, am I a man? Okay, sorry about that. Which isn't, no, it's not, no, no, it's fine. It, it just happened recently. It's been I am a man for, for many years, but we changed it recently to uh, Am I a Man? We were looking okay. at the graphic art, which was uh, originally the graphic art was me wearing these very small shorts, pulling my uh, shorts open, looking down at my penis, right? Mm-hmm. And behind me, a black and white image of men holding that I'm a man sign. Mm-hmm. And when I first uh, came up with the piece, it was in 2009, 2010. And we weren't having as many conversations around gender and gender identity mm. at that time. Yes. That wasn't uh, 
the first thing that we were talking about when we were talking about queer masculinity yes. or queering masculinity. It was just, we we're just in a different place. And, you know, 10 years later, I'm bringing the piece back to perform in New York and I'm looking at the graphic image and I'm, I'm looking at the title. And uh, luckily I was able to work with a mentor who helped, uh, helped me see that I was making a declaration around my masculinity based on the fact that I had a penis. Mm -hmm. um, and that it lands very differently today than it would have been. Mm -hmm. So we changed the title to be more reflective of the question around what is masculinity and what is queer masculinity. Mm. Um, but that piece, I just got back from New York. I had six shows in New York City um, through the Bridget French Festival. Mm -hmm. I just got back less than a month ago, actually, from performing that work there. Yeah, and how was... How did you find the New York audiences uh, versus maybe in the Bay Area? If there was, if you felt there was a difference at all? Um, yeah, there's a difference. People in my experience, mm -hmm. people in New York are sort of like they're not as uh, easily impressed. Mm -hmm. um, they don't. They're not going to get you all gassed up because you cleared your throat. Yeah. Um, I feel like. The expectation is that the that the work is is great or outstanding or good, and if it meets that requirement, they're like clap, clap, clap. I'm not standing for you. Mm. Um, not as a way of diminishing the quality of the work, but more like this is what we expect. Yes, um, from our from our performance work. So people really enjoyed the piece. Uh, they were really vocal about that. I got a, a lot of really positive feedback, but not the way that I get it here. Here people are way more like, oh my God, that was the best thing I've ever seen. And then they were like, oh, excellent piece of work you just did. <laughs> so I was just like, what does this mean? <laughs> like, you know, it was just a different different response. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. The, the scene feels different. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of excellence that mm -hmm. I witnessed, uh, that I have witnessed. Just, I've gone to open mics in New York City. Yes. And, been like damn like the the work was so amazing yes, yes and it was just like oh i'm just getting up here to do this thing so by the time you get to i'm doing a full run and i prepared this piece um to be consumed this way it's like this isn't you know three minutes at an open mic this is your featuring so people's expectation is higher yes um because everywhere you look there's 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 some you know not so great work that i that's that seen as well but when it's good it's it's really good oh yeah so it made me feel competitive. Mm, I see. I was like, I got to step up my game out here. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to live out there, and I remember seeing some really incredible pieces out there, and it was very inspiring, certainly, to see so many folks uh, perform. The quality is amazing. Yes. yes I, I mean, I, I just I, I keep thinking of this. Uh, I went to Queer Abstract, mm. um, which is a open mic-esque. It's a curated open, open mic is the best way to really think about it. Okay. Um, in Brooklyn. Uh, but it's basically a curated experience where artists are invited to perform. And it feels like an open mic format because you just have one artist get up and do a piece and the next artist comes up and does a piece. But those kids were not playing around in Queer Abstract. Mm. It's at uh, the Star Bar in Brooklyn. Okay. And it happens once a month and I was able to feature and perform there and I was just really impressed by the talent and the diversity of talent uh, that, that I experienced there. Because I was like, oh, you know, this is just going to be a little reading. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> and the kids yeah. were like, no, we came to show out. Wow. You know, and I was like, 
oh, I didn't know we were showing out. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. I hadn't heard of that, that before. Oh, yeah. If you ever get to New York, check out Queer Abstract. Okay. It's amazing. Will do. And they have um, YouTube videos, too, of a lot of their performances. Oh, great. Excellent. Um, another question I was hoping we could, or topic I was hoping we could talk about would just be sobriety, if you're open to talking about that in terms of as an artist and creation. Um, sobriety. Yeah, I'm open to that. Yeah. Um, whew. I think, I mean, for me, like I'm, I'm in, I'm in recovery. Eh? Mm-hmm. I guess it's an important thing to, to, to come out and, and just actually say and claim yes. that, um, you know, I'm a drug and alcohol recovery. So like for me, sobriety isn't just, um, being a creative individual who doesn't drink or use drugs. Mm-hmm. It's also being a person who actively is a part of a recovery community. Mm-hmm. Um, I experience a lot of, a. Uh, it's different. It's, it's <laughs> being an artist, like the artist community is, is so much about kind of carrying on, you know, like there, there's like a partying culture that kind of, holds the outside of the community. Mm. Um, so to not be able to participate and relate to people in that way is really interesting. Yes. yes. Um, because it's like, I come in, I perform, I go home now mm-hmm. where it used to be, I'd show up. We used to hang out and drink. We do the show. We go drink some more. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel disengaged from the community in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like so many artists, there's this mythology around the struggling artists, the suffering artists, the artists with mental health issues, and the artists with the drinking problem. Yes, yes. Um, where it's almost romanticized. Mm-hmm. It's just the intensity through which you experience life makes you an artist, and your inability to digest all that means you need these other things in order to, to cope. Um, so that, that whole mythology and that whole romantic romanticizing of that lifestyle uh, to not be engaging it's a trip um, and to also to create and be 100% present when you do create it's not like I'm gonna smoke a joint and I'm gonna write some poetry yeah um, it's creating from a very different state of mind at all times right um, and expecting to present my work in that state of mind so there's like you know, there's no taking two shots and getting on stage. Yes. I have to be present for the stress and the anxiety yes. of performance work in a way that I didn't used to. Um, but ultimately, I think it's the artist's job to be as present as they possibly can mm. um, when holding their work. Yes. Um, with the kind of work that I that I do and that I'm known for doing, I also think it, it, it's it's important for me to be present um, and grounded, uh, in the work that I do, you know, our bodies are our instrument, you know, mm-hmm. and if we can't be in our bodies, we can't be really completely responsible for what it is that we're creating and we're giving. Yeah. Um, and I also think it, it for me, it created a, a fear around, could I be as good Mm. Am I as creative? Am mm. I as daring? Am I as fun as a performer? Not uh, needing to be intoxicated while performing, but mm-hmm. like doing, you know, <laughs> writing out of an altered state of mind. Yeah, yeah. There's this idea that you feel like you're accessing something you couldn't otherwise. Right, right. You know, so it's I, I feel like I don't have access to a kind of creativity I used to. Mm-hmm. 
um, which I think is one of the reasons why so many people create um, under the influence. Mm-hmm. Because um, it gives you access to things you don't necessarily otherwise have access to. Yes. And I, I miss it. You know, I miss being able to access those things. I miss being able to uh, tap in and tap out if I want to. Mm-hmm. But for me to show up for my life um, as the person I'm supposed to be, uh, I have to make different choices because I didn't just, you know, have a couple beers at the end of the night. Yeah. You know, I did I did much more than that. And I did it in a way that was destructive. So, like, for me, it's like I wouldn't have a performance career at all to speak of, really, if I was drinking. Yeah. You know, I wasn't able to, to show up for my life or maintain anything like discipline or anything like structure when I was just kind of like any way the wind blows. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I've thought about that as well. I don't um, partake... Um, and, and drinking anymore and it's also a lot of what you've said resonates in terms of the you know bonding with other folks after a show and then also in terms of the state one gets into in order to write or to create and so yeah a lot of what you said resonates it feels like I miss, I miss having access to that part of my brain sometimes you know I, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel any reason to like I don't feel like recovery or sobriety is something that it's for everybody or that every or anybody should do. Right, right. Um, I think that it's a personal choice that, you know, people make because out of necessity Mm -hmm. um, or out of a spiritual desire um, to be connected in a particular way. So, like, for people who do, you know, I I understand why they do. Yes. Um, And there are things that I miss about it, for sure. Yeah. Um, Not, And I don't mean, like, just being drunk and having a good time. I mean, just being able to create from this corner of your brain that seems like it's just locked mm-hmm. otherwise. Yeah. You yeah. Know? <sighs> yeah. I mean, it, it's a lot to be present in this world given all that's is happening and has yeah. been happening. It's, it's a lot. It's insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, 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 like the, the things that are going on and the, the level of stress, anxiety, fear, um, confusion, aggravation, uh, and frustration that we're expected to live under at all mm. times. Yes. Like if you have any awareness of what's going on on a day-to-day basis, right, like if right. you actually, you know, are paying just a, a kind of paying attention, then like you have to be under this fog of all that Yes. in yes. order to walk down the street in a day yes. and, and not go crazy and be punching yourself in the face. Like, or somebody else. Right. You know. Right. <laughs> um, it's a lot. So it's like, how can you be present but removed? It's like, how can I be a Xerox copy of myself? Like, how do I acknowledge that mm. these things exist but not be of them? Because otherwise I feel like the the level of suffering and the level of pain and the level of, like, fear that I would be in daily. Yes. Would be so big that I would be paralyzed. Yes. Yeah. So then I'm, like, numbing myself mm-hmm. by keeping everything at arm's length. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was definitely an issue of, am I doing something to numb myself or to escape or just to feel better? And it was difficult sometimes to figure out where where that was or where the intention was coming from. Your work is, I mean, like, when, I, when I've seen you perform, when I've seen you share, when I've seen you do your work, like, yours is, like, you just... Uh, 
bad. It's like we just nail people to the wall <laughs> and and talk about what it is that's happening in the world in this really frank, meaningful way that doesn't give people an out. It's like you walk up onto the stage and you're like, why don't you do anything about what's wrong with the world? And then you're like, no, I'm going to sit here and wait for you to answer me. And everybody's like sitting in this discomfort <laughs> um, because they know that the things that you're pointing at, pointing to and working through matter. Mm. And that people have been completely unable to figure out a way to, to negotiate terms with the world and with themselves, mm. that they're a part of the solution. Mm. Um, I feel like we're all just sort of like rumbling through the world trying to get through the day. Yes, yeah. Yeah. You know, and you kind of are like, we're not getting through the day today. We're going to have to confront some of this real quick. Like, you always trip me out when I see you, oh. you, do, <laughs> you do what you do. Oh, wow. I've taken quite a bit of a break from performing, so it's a good reminder for me to get back out there. No, you should, because you have a voice. There's something that you do with your voice that I I can't do, um, and that I've never seen anybody else do. You know, like you have a way of keeping people staggering between uh, a laugh and the horror of <laughs> what's actually happening. Yeah. Like instead of it being pushed over to where it's hilarious mm-hmm. or going the other way where it falls, it's like you just are staggering right on the precipice. And people are like, oh, my God, oh. you know, which way is it going to go? And it's like, you're like, no, we're just going to stay right here. Mm. Wow. You know, and it's deep. Yeah. I love watching you perform. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, it's... I I feel grateful to have met you and to have seen your performances, and I've been really inspired by you. Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this, this new show. You've never seen it? I feel like uh, I maybe I have seen... Are pieces of it yeah maybe at the, at the it, like Bravo Soma Theater Arts have done like yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 that was yeah that was when I was first starting to formulate it yeah you've seen pieces of it yes it's definitely on a whole other level now oh I'm really excited I'm looking forward to seeing it like I, I, I don't know what kind of audience I'm gonna be pulling for this it's it's great that the Chronicle did a write-up mm-hmm. uh, I've never had a, a write-up like that mm-hmm. before I've had a, a review after something's happened but not a write-up before yeah so it's interesting because it means that I'm gonna. There are people that aren't a part of my circle mm, mm-hmm. that are suddenly going to have access to this performance work. Yes, um, via it's been promoted by the SF Chronicle and Datebook. Yeah, you know what I mean. So somebody who would never, I would never have contact with. I may end up starting to have contact with these people, and that makes me really nervous. Yeah, you know, it's not my friend and a friend of my friend. Sure, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see who shows up. Yeah. Well, I feel like the more folks who can see this, the better. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. So I also want to plug your website, which is daziegrego.com, and that has all the information about this upcoming show, as well as your artist statement, your bio, and more information. And it has, there's an album up now, Ooh. which is actually the the spoken word from Nigaru. Oh, okay. Um, so if people want to actually listen to the spoken word and the poetry that can't make it to the show, they can actually listen to what the work is, like what are the words of this performance? <laughs> it's like what kind of things are coming out of this person's mouth. Um, they can access that um, as well. Oh, wonderful. 
Because, you know, with spoken word, like, I feel like because some of it's performance poetry based, uh, this performance I'm, I'm doing, I feel like people need more time to be able to spend with the words than just hearing it once. So I wanted to create an opportunity for people to do that. So the album's called Make Me Black, and you can access it through my website. Oh, great. That sounds excellent. And perhaps we'll, we'll play Yay. some on the show if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay, great. We'll do that uh, to, um, at the end of the show today. Cool. Excellent. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share while while we're here? Uh, no, I'm good. I feel like I've said so much. <laughs> Lots of important things. So like, you, I mean, you asked me a question. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Because, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about the work that I do, and I'm thinking about all these things all the time, and, you know, it's exciting to talk to other people who are thinking about the same thing. So thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. My pleasure, and hope to uh, have you on again. Cool. Yeah. Anytime. Looking forward to seeing the show. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, take care, and I'll see you soon. All right. Bye, sweetie. Bye. Thank you. All right. Big thanks to Dazier uh, for calling in. I feel all nice and warm and really looking forward to seeing this performance. Again, if you'd like to get tickets, uh, please go to daziergrego.com, and that is D-A-Z-I-E-G-R-E-G-O.com. And when this podcast goes up, we are broadcasting live, and also when this podcast goes up on the website, I will include a link as well so folks can click on it. <sighs> okay. Well, let's take a bit of a music break, and I will get some things together for the uh, rest of the show. And yeah, (sighs) sounds good. All right, so coming up, here's a song from Shay Diamond, and uh, you can find Shay's work online. And Shay's based in New York City, and this is a song called I Am Her. So we'll be back in a little bit. Stay tuned. If you had to wear my shoes... You'd probably take them off too.
generation them know And in iron neck, the smarter we get The less we understand about the simplest shit I am Shane, she is me We get down with our bad selves figuratively Don't care too much what other people say I get along swell by my goddamn self Never ask for no one's philosophy Welcome back to Weekly Review. That was Shay Diamond with I Am Her. You can check out that video on YouTube. Coming up, a few upcoming events. There is a lot of <sighs> disturbing things that are happening in the world, and there's lots of folks who are organizing and putting things together so people can participate and make it a better world for everybody. So I'm going to share some upcoming events right now. And my voice goes up a few octaves. <laughs> okay. So this is about the Global Women's Strike Bay Area. Uh, the Global Women's Strike Bay Area is part of the BA Steering Committee for the Poor People's Campaign. As part of the National Emergency Truth and Poverty Bus Tour, the California Poor People's Campaign invites you to the Bay Area Poor People's Hearing on Homelessness, Mass Incarceration, and the Criminalization of Poverty. This is happening tomorrow, Saturday, April 6th from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Taylor Memorial Church, which is at 1188 12th Street in Oakland. The National Emergency Truth and Poverty Bus Tour is a nationwide effort of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival taking place in 30 states across the U.S. Come out and hear community members give testimony on the impact of policies that ignore the needs of impoverished and low-income Bay Area residents. Elected officials are invited to listen, but not to speak. For more info on the Bay Area hearing, check out www.ppcbayarea.org and see below for info on the California Truth and Poverty Bus Tour and all 11 California hearings, including the statewide hearing in Fresno on April 8th, uh, which is also on, face also on Facebook. Okay, so we've got that coming up and they have links below. Let me take a quick look here at the event. They've also posted it on Facebook. Um, I will, all right. So this is again, the, the Truth and Poverty Bus Tour number two, and that's happening in Chico, Marysville, Sacramento, Oakland, Fresno, Pacoma, uh, Panoma, Pomona, excuse me, Orange County, and San Diego. And right now I will share that on the Weekly Review webpage, which you can access by going to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. And I'll share that now. And the invite is now up there. So you can check 
check it out. And if you are in one of those cities and or know folks in one of those cities and or can get to one of those cities, please do check that out. And it's happening April 6th, April 8th, April 9th. It's happening until April 13th. Great. Next up, because there's a lot of things that are happening. All right, and this is from APTP, which is the Anti-Police Terror Project. Uh, Dear APTP supporters, this session we are supporting AB 392, the California Act to Save Lives, which would require law enforcement to exhaust all other alternatives before using deadly force on us and our loved ones. It's our duty to protect the black, brown, and indigenous people who suffer at the hands of law enforcement daily by every means possible. Next Tuesday, April 9th, will be the first hearing of AB 392. Join Impacted Families and Let Us Live Coalition and the Let Us Live Coalition in Sacramento in support of AB 392. So this is the get on the bus to lobby for the California Act to Save Lives. So there's a bus that's going up to Sacramento and it's happening. It's leaving Tuesday, April 9th from Oakland. You meet up at folks meet up at 5 a.m. sharp at the West Oakland BART station, which is at 1451 7th Street in Oakland. And they have a registration form with more times and locations. Uh, Increasing use of force standards and requiring police to use alternatives to lethal force has been effective in several cities utilizing similar policies such as Seattle, Washington. We are gaining momentum, but we have to seize this moment to pressure the California legislature to embrace it. They have another link where one can RSVP and register for a bus ride today um, to let folks know that you can join. And I will see if there is a another link I can post to share it. So it'll be easier for folks to click on it. And I see it. There's a Facebook invite. And I'm also going to share this right now on the Weekly Review webpage. So whenever you're listening to this, if you go to the Weekly Review webpage, if you scroll down to what I've posted today, Friday, April 5th, you will see this uh, invite with all this information so please do check it out and share it with your communities and if you happen to live in another part of the world um um, perhaps think about how you can organize in your own community about situations like this to demilitarize police (sighs) great all right and i believe there's one more is there one more I think there's one more invite uh, event that I wanted to share. Yes. And I was just sent some info about it this morning. And this is the Free School 5 de-escalation, and it's about de-escalation of violence. Excuse me, I had to burp. This is happening at April 9th. It's a public event hosted by the Coalition on Homelessness, and it's happening Tuesday, April 9th, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. at the St. Anthony Foundation, which is at 150 Golden Gate Avenue in San Francisco. There's a Facebook invite, and yep, that's right. I'm going to share it right now again on the Weekly Review webpage, so you can check it out. And I'm just pausing a moment here as I share this with folks. I want to do it as I'm talking about it, so I don't forget to do it later. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit more about this event. Let's see. Um, Let me scroll down a bit here. Details. Coalition on Homelessness Free School 2019. April 9th, 2019. De-escalating violence. Learn the techniques of diffusing explosive situations. Homeless people are traumatized constantly and under stress due to having no place to live. In this class, we will learn 
hands-on through role-playing how to keep everyone safe and welcome in our spaces. ADA accessible space, bag lunches will be provided, classes will be in English with a Spanish translation. So again, that's happening on Tuesday, April 9th from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. at the St. Anthony Foundation at 150 Golden Gate Avenue in San Francisco. Okay, so those are some upcoming events. There's a lot more happening as well. Just wanted to put those out there for folks. And as I get some more news together and prepare myself to share the news, I'm going to play some music. I think that sounds about right. And... Yeah, so here's some music. It's a band um, heard of recently from Minnesota called Bad Bad Hats. So I'll play some music from them, and then we'll be back with some depressing news. Uh, I can't make it sound not depressing because it, it really is depressing what it is. So we're gonna I'm gonna prepare myself for it best I can, and we're gonna take this information and do what we can to create a more just world. Stay tuned. Write it in a book. Waste my time, save it for your diary, don't try to ease my mind, love was growing teeth, you were spitting blood, write it on your heart, yeah, you were never mine. Spread your love, I don't deserve anything, that's how you make me feel, trading me for a stranger, baby, spread review with Roman. Ah, we got some news. Uh, it's not good news. And 
yes, it would be great to have a show that's all full of good news, and one day maybe that will happen. That's not happening now. <sighs> I'm really just trying to prepare myself to read this article, which is fucking... Ugh! Okay. This is from Harper's Bazaar. This came out on April 2nd. It was written by Jennifer Wright. The U.S. is tracking migrant girls' periods to stop them from getting abortions. <sighs> We still don't know where uh, 1,488 migrant children are. And I have to note that that number that was used is also a a dog whistle. It's a sign that white supremacists use that number. So that's a whole other conversation to have as well. (sighs) Fuck. Okay. The U.S. government uh, lost them. They admit as much. Even though the court ordered a halt to the policy of family separation, 245 more children have been taken from their parents. So they can't figure out where children separated from their parents are. But by God, they can keep track of teenage migrant girls' menstrual cycles. There are 28 pages detailing the periods, pregnancies, and reason for the pregnancy, whether by rape or not, of teen girls in custody, some of whom are as young as 12. There may well be reasons for the government to track whether or not a woman is pregnant and how far along in her pregnancy she is, but there's no reason to track the cause of her pregnancy. It's pretty fair to assume that they're not doing this because they want to ensure women know all the options regarding their pregnancy. It's almost certainly an attempt to bar them from getting abortions. We know that because the trafficking was done by the anti-abortion advocate Scott Lloyd, the head of refugee resettlement at the height of the children separation. He has since been removed from that post. Lloyd declared he needed to sign off on all abortion requests. This was way this was previously not the case, and in one instance attempted to use a migrant girl as a way to test an abortion reversal method. What a sick fuck. <sighs> My list of folks to get guillotined gets longer and longer every day. Welcome Scott Lloyd, you're on that list. Lloyd has admitted to pressuring these young women to keep their pregnancies. Seemingly, he uh, was quite strenuous in his insistence. In one email, Lloyd relates that a pregnant woman in his care who is sinking and being kept from having an abortion mentioned suicide. In response to that, he writes, Oh, gosh. Uh, The clinician describes her demeanor as obnoxious and uh, I can't even fucking read his fucking bullshit nonsense. That's me. I'm going to make a call on that one. I'm not going to read his fucking propaganda misogynist bullshit. Uh, if she continued to want an abortion after sp- quote unquote spiritual counseling, oh, fuck this guy. Lloyd continues, she'd have to obtain parental consent because deciding to terminate a pregnancy seemingly takes more maturity than motherhood. And if you think they did not take into account how difficult it might be for teenage migrants to obtain consent from parents they might not be traveling with, oh, don't worry, they took that into account. This tracking continued well after the ACLU intervened to stop government interference with immigrant women seeking abortions. And what happens to with when these children are born? Well, that's hard to say. However, we know that many migrant children have gone to Bethany Christian Services, an organization that has received hundreds of thousands of dollars from 45's education secretary, Betsy DeVos, also on the guillotine list. Uh, it is also an agency that allegedly won't place children with LGBTQ couples. Asylum seekers are separated from their children and then told by officials that if they don't behave, and that's in quotation marks, they will put their children up for adoption. I'm so fucking enraged. 
And once those children have gone to foster homes, they may well be gone for good. The AP reported back in February, Jonathan White, who leads the Health and Human Services Department's efforts to reunite migrant children with their parents, said removing children from quote-unquote sponsor uh, homes to rejoin their parents would present grave child welfare concerns. He said the government should focus on reuniting children currently in its custody, not those who have already been released to sponsor homes. All of this in spite of the fact that the first goal of foster care is supposed to be family reunification. I'll, tr- I'll do my best not to be completely yelling by the end of this article. I cannot guarantee that will happen, though. Now, why would there be a benefit to creating a supply of children to be adopted by Christian heterosexual families? Well, partly for money. As Catherine Joyce notes, uh, in her book, The Child Catchers, hefty adoption fees provide lots of incentive to increase the supply of adoptable children, recruiting orphans from intact but vulnerable families. Anyone who has looked into adoption has probably found that, despite what is This Is Us leads you to believe, it is not generally the case that you find an abandoned baby peacefully waiting for adoption in the hospital ward. Instead, adoption through agencies is a lengthy process that costs on average, wow, I had no idea, $39,966. I had no idea it was that expensive. Wow. A cost that can make it prohibitively expensive for many families. For all the talk of how adoption is great because there are so many unwanted babies in the world, there's actually an enormous market of prospective parents looking for a baby. However, white and Hispanic babies cost about $8,000 more to adopt than black babies. (sighs) Beyond that, moving children to a family that government officials prefer is what authoritarian regimes all through history have done. It's a textbook way to reward your followers, terrify marginalized people into submission, and ensure that a new generation of children are raised to support your regime. It's not even in the distant past. From 1977 to 1983, the military junta in Argentina took the children of dissidents and after killing or disappearing their parents, placed the orphans with childless families friendly to the regime. In some cases, pregnant women being held by the regime were made to give birth specifically for this purpose. The Asociación Civil Abuelas de Plaza de Mayo, grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo, uh, Mayo, excuse me, uh, will gather in Buenos Aires to look for the grandchildren that were taken by the regime after their parents were murdered. Thus far, 128 out of 500 have been found. Moving children from marginalized people to people in power has a basis in American history, too. What do you know? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to probably just scream. I'm going to turn down my mic so I won't be screaming. One moment. All right. I feel a little bit better after screaming. I mean, not it's it's getting out the the anger. Uh, uh, Okay. All right. I had a dream last night that I was buying. There was a hat. Uh, there's like a lot of takes on the MAGA hats and one is America was never great. And I had a dream. I was buying that hat. Sometimes my dreams are (laughs) not that far from the truth. Okay. Oh, I'm so angry. I'm so fucking angry. Okay. 
Moving children from marginalized people to people in power has a basis in American history, too. In 1958, the Indian Adoption Project stole Native American children from their homes, even if there was no evidence of any neglect or abuse, and gave them to non-Native families to raise. Roger St. John, one of the children who was taken, claimed, We were brought up without our culture, which took a terrible toll on our lives. I grew up angry and miserable. And now, here we are again, with pregnant women being tracked to ensure they'll give birth to babies that a 13-year-old mother may not find themselves equipped to raise. We have plenty of reason to suspect where the babies will end up. If the government can compel marginalized women to have children to give to the government's preferred people, then you don't need to make jokes about how America is turning into the handmaid's tale anymore. We're already there. We just don't have the bonnets. Holy shit. Wow. So, fuck. Okay. That article is uh, from Harper's Bazaar. is written by Jennifer Wright. And oh, it came out again on uh, April 2nd of this year. Fuck. Oh, again, history of America. A lot of things we didn't learn in, in school. Shit. Ugh. 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 I, I don't have enough... Um, expletives maybe oh fuck all right wow i'm taking a moment (laughs) just gonna take a moment another story i want to get to uh it's I mean, it's similar in that it's the rise of fascism and also fascism has always existed in this country and it's a continuation of what's been happening before and for a while maybe things were a little bit more dormant. However, they were always present. And this is from the Southern Poverty Law Center. I'm just going to go right into this article and then I think that will be it for articles today on the show. Not that this by any means is the only terrible things that are happening in this country and in the world. It's a slice of it and also just recognizing the patterns and what's been happening before in this country and seeing how these things keep on repeating themselves. Ah, okay. (sighs) I need to do some Lamaze breathing. All right. White supremacist symbol found spray-painted at the site of fire, Civil Rights Center says. And this came out also on April 2nd from the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is an organization you should definitely support because they're being attacked even more than they have in the past. So definitely, I mean, a lot of orgs should be supported. Definitely Southern Poverty Law Center, which you can find at splcenter.org. This was written by Michael Edison Hayden. Someone painted a white supremacist symbol at the scene where fire ravaged a building tied to the civil rights movement, according to a statement from the Highlander Research and Education Center. The executive offices of the Highlander Center, based in Newmarket, Tennessee, caught fire early Friday morning, a neighbor told Knox News. The center serves as an adult education center for community workers involved in social and economic justice movements, according to language posted to the group's Facebook page, and once played host to such civil rights icons as Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. A representative from the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office told Hate Watch on Monday that they were working with the Tennessee State Fire Marshal's Office to determine the cause of the fire. 
They said they hope to share more information in the coming days. But a statement issued by the center Tuesday added an unpleasant layer of intrigue to the center's misfortune, overtly suggesting that the fire may have been an act of arson. As most of you know, a devastating fire burned down our main office early Friday morning. Thankfully, no one was inside the building and no one was injured. A statement from the center reads, We also found a symbol connected to the white power movement spray-painted on the parking lot connected to the main office. While we do not know the names of the culprits, we know that the white power movement has been increasing and consolidating power across the South, across this nation, and globally, the statement continues. Hate Watch reached out to the center for more information about the symbol. They said was spray-painted at the scene of the blaze, but did not immediately receive a response. The Southern Poverty Law Center's own analysis backs up the Highlander Center's statement about gains made by the white supremacist movement. SPLC has found that the number of hate groups in the U.S. has surged alongside the rise of 45, piece of shit, fuckface, also in line for the guillotine. I think we know that. All right. Hate Watch found 36 hate groups operating in Tennessee in 2018, including dozens linked to the white supremacist movement. The state has also played home to several high-profile white supremacist rallies, events, and conferences in recent years, including a Ugh, fuckers. An event staged in Shelbyville in 2017. I won't even repeat the name. It's a take on... It's fucking dumb. Dumb. And a series of rallies put on by neo-Nazi group Traditionalist Workers Party. Traditionalist Worker Party. Throughout 2017 and 2018, American Resistance, a white nationalist think tank, hosts their yearly conference in Tennessee and plans to do so again in May. Maybe we can shut that shit down. News of the fire coincides with a racist incident on the University of North Carolina's Chapel Hill campus Sunday. The Unsung Founders Memorial, which commemorates the lives of slaves and black workers, was vandalized with permanent marker and urine, according to police. Arrest warrants have been issued for two suspects linked to the vandalism in Chapel Hill, campus police said. All right. So again, this article is from the Southern Poverty Law Center. And I will share it right now. I believe I've already shared it on the weekly review webpage, but I will share it again. So folks who are now listening to this um, can see. And again, if you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev, we post news stories there and upcoming events. And so please check that out for more information. All right. I don't like to end the show on a, super negative note um and it's also important just to recognize what's happening in the world so perhaps we'll play some music and then we'll we'll play some of dazier's work um after this so stay tuned and also uh yeah we're gonna play some rem had written a song for kurt cobain and he passed away i think it was today 25 years ago and he was a far leftist. In addition to being a musician, he was had really good politics. So wanting to share, and you can read more about that. Um, Black Socialists of America is a really great organization, and they post a lot on Twitter and really good articles. And they've posted a bit about Kurt in the past and learned a lot about him. So just wanting to share that. And the song's a... I really loved the song when it came out. It's a bit of a downer. And also, that's okay. So here's R.E.M. with Let Me In, and we'll be back uh, after this. Yeah, all those stars drip down like butter Promises you see We hold out our hands with our hands 
welcome back to the weekly review. We are wrapping up here and wanted to share one more, uh, yet another event that's happening on April 9th, Tuesday, April 9th, and that is Support SF Youth and Families Shut Down Juvenile Hall Rally, and this is hosted by the Young Women's Freedom Center. This is happening Tuesday, April 9th from noon to 1 p.m. at San Francisco City Hall Steps, at the San Francisco City Hall Steps, which is at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlit Place in San Francisco. Let's read a little bit about this event. And I've just shared this on our Facebook page as well, so you can check out that info on the internet. Ah. SF Supervisors Ronan, Walton, and Haney will introduce legislation to shut down San Francisco's Juvenile Justice Center by 2021 on April 9th. This is a victory for San Francisco's youth and families who have fought to shut down our local juvenile hall for years. Let the Board of Supervisors know the time is now. Shut it down. Don't let this conversation happen without you. We need all our youth and parents to let everyone know nothing about us without us. Make sure your voice and your story are heard. Let your board of supervisors know nothing happens without those most impacted at the table. San Francisco Juvenile Justice Center, JJC, has housed less than 50 youth at any given time for the last several years, leaving 70% of the JJC empty. Two-thirds of the youth at SFJJC are there for low-level crimes or probation violations. San Francisco is still spending the same amount of money it spent on the juvenile hall as it did in 2011, which is $11.9 million. Even though it's housing half the average daily population it was back then. It costs close to $270,000 a year to keep a child locked up in San Francisco, with San Francisco losing its youth and families due to gentrification and catering to single individuals. This money needs to go to support San Francisco's low-income families and youth. San Francisco is full of amazing alternative to detention programs. Let them take care of their youth instead of sitting instead of them sitting in juvenile hall. So again, this event is happening on Tuesday, April 9th from noon to 1 p.m. in front of the city hall, so it's city hall steps. And again, it's put on by the women, Young Women's Freedom Center, which I hadn't heard of before. So I did some, uh, I clicked on their the link on the invite and they have a lot of great information. It looks like a really great organization. So they are folks that you should also follow and participate with. Great. Okay. Yay. So positive things that are happening, people coming together, people organizing. That's excellent. So uh, I wanted to share uh, one of Dazier's pieces. And again, you can check this out if you go to daziergrego.com. And this is a, a track called Make Me Black. And you can find this um, on the website. Make me black, paint me, be sure and make it obvious, my lips should be full, my hair exceptionally curly, I want each strand wound so tight, that if I felt on the steps I'd become a slinky, my eyes almond shaped and somewhat slanted, 
I'm not sure if that's African or Native American make them deep set and slanty. Take my oral tradition, forget it completely. Write down what you remember. Take my worth, multiply it by Nefertiti, then divide it by crack whore. If you have a remainder, snap your fingers to your own heartbeat, roll your neck once and spit every time you want to say nigga. Allow me to imitate you after you've made caricatures of me. Embarrass me. Have me make fool after fool of myself. And when I'm done giving it kuncho, Haley, bury me. Whisper Maya Angelou poems to the leaves. Crush them. Make sturdy pages I can write my nigga songs on. Tell me I'm not black if I'm articulate. Especially if your blue eyes are taken for granted. If your blue eyes are taken for granted, give them to me. I will make them more special than anything. Tell people who are white and black they're automatically pretty. Be happy. There are enough like you for you to finally understand something black. Make me black. Teach me to be ashamed of my former names instead of Negro, colored, African American. Tell me nigga is just the same. Make me surly. Let's speed up what Darwin started. Take the best of us. Put us on a boat. Let the weak ones die. When the weak ones are dead, breed me with the largest and most agile buck. If you find me attractive, let's have babies. And hold our babies above all babies. Let's be light-skinned and untarnished. Warn your children we are sons of ham, cursed and cursing. Mutilate me. Beat my back something awful, then laugh at my calluses. Rape my woman in front of me. Make laws that ensure I can never call her my wife. Give the woman I'm permitted to fuck in your absence, babies. Treat them as livestock. Treat them better than you treat her or me. Make a house nigga out of your daughter, Willie. Lynch me. Beat me down and hang me off of trees. Confuse the hummingbird who does not know what to drink from. When I become aggressive, call me a thug. If I'm complacent, tease me. Call me a sellout and remind me again that I'm not black. Continue to always punish me. Keep the written word a mystery. And when eyes don't speak English too good, confront me. Tell me I'm lazy, then have me walk 100 miles through the swamps of Mississippi in the dark alone. If I reject being lazy, have the dogs chase me. So I know what it feels like to be tired when I am tired. Rodney King me. Play the tape and ask me not to be moved. If I am moved and you become fearful of violence, watch me hurt myself and do nothing. Take my hurt. Numb it with indifference. When I question my circumstance, call it the race card. When you don't care what I'm asking, ask for ID cards. Make me black. Police flashlights in my face so often, I'm only comfortable in the spotlight of a stage, an arena, court, field, or prison yard. Make me black. Welcome back. That was Make Me Black uh, by Dazier Grego. And you can find that album if you go to daziergrego.com. And again, uh, Dazier's show opens tonight, and you can find more info if you go to daziergrego.com. That starts tonight, April 5th at 8 p.m. And you can buy tickets online at the website. And it's at the Exit Stage Left Theater in San Francisco, uh, which is at 156 Eddy Street. Okay. Well, thanks again to Dazier for calling in, and thanks for all the folks out there for listening. Thanks to everyone out there for living your lives and making the world a better place and getting through. Ah, yeah. We'll be back again next week, 
And also coming up next week will be uh, Women's Magazine with Global Val and the Common Thread with Global Val and Diamond Dave. That show has been going on every other week. Oh yeah, Mutiny Radio. I should plug the station. Hello. Uh, their show is here every day of the week. If you're interested in doing a show here of your own, please contact Pam. If you go to mutinyradio.fm, you can find the dates and times that we have open slots. So if you'd like to do a show here of your own, that's totally open. You can do that. Uh, it costs about 100 bucks a month to rent the space. Uh, you get trained. doesn't take too long on the, on the equipment. And then you can do whatever type of program you want. There's a lot of great shows here on the station. We have news and politics. There's comedy. There's music. A lot of other shows. Uh, it's anything you want. So it's pretty cool. Also... If you're interested in renting the space, maybe for like a one-time slot, we do that as well. We have rentals. We have one-time rentals here. You get the, there's a room here for a small audience. You have a live broadcast. You have the MP3 that's recorded and you get to use the equipment here. So it's a pretty great space and grateful that it's, it's still around. If you'd like to support the station directly, we have a lot of open mics here. You come in, you can uh, donate if you're able. There's also, I believe, a link on the website, mutinyradio.fm. If you'd like to support this particular show, The Weekly Review, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Big thank you to all the folks who have been donating over the years. I really, it really means so much to me. Thank you so much for helping out, keeping this, keeping the doors open, keeping the show going. Um, having the dues paid is... Uh, Really, I'm really grateful. So thanks to all the folks showing up and for all the folks who download and listen and have conversations. That's one thing we can do is organize, have conversations with people and question the status quo and the history of this, (laughs) of the land we're on and work to make it more equitable for everybody. (sighs) So I guess I will, (laughs) I'll end with a, uh, Nirvana song. I, I don't think I, I don't, I very, very rarely pay, play them on the show. I don't remember the last time I did. So why not today? Ah, and so choosing the song, uh, with the lyric, uh, everyone is gay because that's quite frankly, the truth. Is it not? We'll discuss that next week. Maybe. All right. Thanks again for listening and have a great week, everybody.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good special happy hour prices all night long with your mutiny radio comedy festival ticket march 1st through 5th check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com come take a seat i had a date there and it did not go well but it wasn't the fault of the place they're very nice asiento For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF Visual and Auditory Mind Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF.
welcome. Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5, Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Bender's is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Bender's Bar and Grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips, don't. <laughs> anything about it sorry all on my limited view yes every tuesday from 12 to 2 uh oh you can if you can also find us on apple Podcasts. oh yeah and google play and stitcher itunes oh you already said that tune in radio uh stitcher you said that spotify oh my god there's just so many and overcast um, yes, you can also find us on social media, M as in Mary, L as in Larry, P as in Peter, podcast, MOV podcast is our handle. Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. Bye. That, that kind of sucked balls. Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be 
Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joe 